You are listening to HCD Talks, the official podcast of Humana Corpus Dignitate. All right. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. So we are, Carlos and I are here with Maria Spears. She is, um, why don't you go ahead and introduce, you've got a whole long list of <laughs> everything you do. So go ahead and uh, t- give us a little bit of about yourself. Yeah. So I, um, so right now I'm currently, I'm a self-worth strategist and a mindset coach. Uh, I also have a band and women's ministry. So I speak and sing. Um, we've been doing that for the last, going on five years. And the goal with that is to really just help to encourage, inspire, and remind women to become the women God's calling them to be. We talk a lot about theology of the body, about the feminine genius, about our self-worth, uh, what it means to be daughters of the Father. So we talk, kind of really dive into all things with women. Uh, music is for everyone, but the ministry is very specifically geared towards women. And then I, um, I'm also, I'm a doula. I am um, a personal trainer, have worked in the health, fitness, nutrition field for uh, probably about 18 years now. And uh, yeah, I've just done, I'm really immersed in ministry most of my life to some capacity. I'm a musician. I am grew up playing music. I played with a country band for a while on classic rock and <laughs> all the things on that side. And then also in the praise and worship, the Catholic music, Christian music. Um, so kind of the whole gamut. Um, and then currently working on a book right now as well with, uh, with another friend. So yeah, that's a lot of what I do. That is so cool. Um, so could you give us a little bit of background, like sort of how you grew up and like, was, were you a cradle Catholic? Was it like a conversion experience? Was it one of those you kind of drifted and came back, you know, just kind of, if you could share that with us. Yeah. So I grew up, I have um, five brothers. I have uh, parents who my, um, my mom was always Catholic. My dad was actually a convert to the faith when I was, I was really little. So I have a vague, vague memory of that. Uh, and the faith was just very much a part of our home. For sure, growing up, I was the second oldest, and so I think in a lot of ways, I, I was actually not one of those who um, who had one of those big conversions per se. It was more I was very much like, let me learn from the mistakes of those around me, and um, I I also just I think from a very young age, really uh, experienced Jesus in a deep way, um, and really you know it, for some people I think the faith was uh, one of those things where they did it because they were forced to, or because it, here, here's the rules and regulations. You don't want the punishment. But for me, I think there was just uh, pretty early on um, an aspect of intimacy with the Lord and a desire for that. Um, and so, uh, and then when I was about um, 15, I was playing for a youth event and had a um, just kind of a crazy experience in prayer where I was really praying about what my vocation was. And I was like, Lord, or, you know, um, and had been looking at discerning religious life or what, you know, just really praying about what do you want, Lord? And um, had an experience that night. I was in my music room and I was playing piano and was also using that as part of my prayer time and had this experience of heaven where, uh, where it literally was like, you know, I was with God and that was all I wanted. And I said, okay, Lord, let me just let me die. Let me just be with you right now. And really heard him say, you know, no, Maria, we're not, we're not done here. And I said, okay, then I'll just be a nurse or be a nun because that's the closest thing. 
you know, to, to, I guess, to this. And uh, again, he said, no, Maria, that's not how you'll bring the most souls to me. And he just implanted this, um, this image of, uh, the future spouse, as well as, um, as well as an image of what I now know to be theology, of the body. Although at the time I didn't know that's what it was. I just, it was this, this image of, of, of marriage and of, of relationships, um, that was very different from what I had seen and from what I had experienced in my life. And, um, so I really came out of that definitely with, again, just, I think there was a lot of different like conversion moments over my life and throughout my life. And so, um, so I grew up, I was a dancer growing up and, uh, again, faith just was always kind of intertwined that, and, um, growth was a big part of our family, you know, just was hard work and growth and, um, went to a lot of youth events. I started playing for youth events when I was about 14 or 15 and, um, played for like youth two thousands and, um, other like diocesan events. And that was, yeah, a lot of, a lot of my childhood. So um, I, I'm hearing you and I'm, I'm, I'm full of joy because it, you know, I, similar story. Cause I, I did the whole, uh, the whole Los Angeles music scene before I moved to Arizona and then I'm playing in country bands here. Well, not now, but you know, obviously I, for a long time now. And it's interesting because um, I've done, you know, I play at church and, you know, I've done, I had a Christian band for a while and I've done mm -hmm. certain events and, you know, it's interesting because you, that sense of, you feel you're using your gift anytime you perform. Yeah. But then mm -hmm. when you are doing it for, for the Lord, when you're doing it at a church or an event, it's like, there's this feeling of, like, I guess there was this quote I heard years ago where it said like, your, your talents are God's gift to you and what you do with them is your gift back to him. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I, I think one of the most um, amazing experiences I ever had, well, there's two I think of was, one, we were playing, I was playing with this Christian band in a street. One of the missions here was feeding homeless people on Thanksgiving. Mm. It was like, we're on the street and like, not the nicest part of town, but like, it's productive. And then there was one New Year's Eve, we were playing at some church. It was a, like a celebrate recovery thing. And so it was like soda and cracker yeah. stuff. And there's all a bunch of recovering alcoholics, whatever. And that was their New Year's Eve party. Mm. And I, I really think people should think about using their gifts because of the fact that when you're performing or like you show them things and then the people respond to you and then yeah. you especially when you see how open they are with god and like especially with these addicts i mean i i had this image of these are people who've literally stood at the foot of the cross as low as you can get so mm -hmm. their faith is so strong i mean i'm watching them and i'm learning from them what it means to have faith in jesus yeah so um mm -hmm. it's humbling to be part of that and and I wish a lot, especially a lot of young people that have artistic ambitions would really try, at least give it a chance, because it, it's a feeling that you'll never feel in a different arena. Mm. So I'm just seeing that common experience with you. So that's, that's really cool. Beautiful. Yeah, I am. I'm listening to her talk about her musical background, and I'm like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Kyla. I, ha I have to go with this, Maria. Let me ask you, because well, you've yeah. done the other things with the other music. Um, do you remember, cause when we were in the theology of the body class, the first class, when Christopher yes. started talking about that whole twistic mystics thing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Tell me how many songs you remember growing up hearing where like there, you think of all these words and then there's that one line you're like, Oh, like that whole, like that echo oh, of the beginning. It changes the way you listen to music. It completely changes. The, that's why it's so funny because I, 
sometimes being in ministry, I always laugh. So when I, um, after graduating from college, I was waiting tables, like waiting, or well, I was waiting tables during college and then um, just immediately after um, briefly. And I always remember I had gone on this, got on this mission trip um, to Jamaica and came back and I was like, I'm totally doing foreign missions. That's what I'm going to do. And I was at the, at the restaurant and I'm waiting tables and I'm like having this dialogue with the Lord as I'm like going about start wait start my tables. And I heard him very clearly say to me, like just in my heart, um, you're, I'm not calling you to do foreign missions. Like you are called to be a missionary in the world. And, and it was, it was so strong. I was like, yeah, you will be able to do some missions here and there, but that is not your, there is a mission territory in the world that needs so that as Catholics that we show up differently so that the world recognizes like there's something different about you. Ultimately it's because we're being the hands and feet in the heart of Jesus, you know, but it's funny because with music, you know, sometimes in the Catholic world, people can be so quick to write off certain music or movies or different stuff. And it's like, if you can learn to view it in that different, you start to see, oh my gosh, all of this is just the cry of the human heart for the, for the banquet feast. But people are, are as we know from that, you know, people are eating out of the dumpster because they don't even know that there is a feast. And it changes the way that you listen to music. <laughs> you hear those lines, you're like, that's really what they meant. <laughs> they just don't know it. <laughs> well, it, it's just, it, and I think what's beautiful, and when you said it's, it's, you know, as Catholics, we go everywhere. This is where we could use the, the universal Catholic because it's everywhere, you know, because we're all human. We all have that cry for authentic love. So we're going to do it in our own way. And, and it's just, it's just that, that, that's, that was Christopher's gift was he was able to just pull every little thing from a movie to um, a song, a visual piece of art. And um, which it's funny cause I love, you know, I'm a musician, but I love visual art because I cannot draw or anything if my life depended yeah. on it. So I just admire looking at these things when I'm, when, when, sometimes even when I'm recording something, I'll have an image in front of me that I'll kind of like take in while I'm playing. Because, you know, yeah. a studio can be very dry, not like on stage. Oh, 100%. So, yes. <laughs> so it's just. Well, so I, I want to kind of go back to you talking about um, being a self-worth strategist. What does that mean? And how did you get into that? And what's, what's this? How did that happen? Yeah. So, um, so okay. So I was, um, I was working at, so when I discovered Theology of the Body, completely rocked my world. Uh, for numerous reasons. Number one, because it was something the Lord had shown me years before. And then number two, it just transformed the way that, that you looked at life. You know, for, for me, especially because I, I had grown up in a very active family, you know, with lots of brothers. So you're always playing sports and you're, you're always, everything's very physical. And even, even eating in our family was very much uh, about like n nutrition, about nurturing your body, right? Taking care of your temples so you can live your mission out of that. And I was, I was a personal trainer in my college at, um, at the field house. And I remember a girl coming in and she said, um, and she said, okay, she said, all I want to do is be a wife and a mom. I need you to give me a good reason to actually like eat healthy and to work out and all this stuff. And I remember internally wanting to face palm because my thought was, how have we done such a poor job of educating people? Here on a Catholic campus, we're talking about theology of the body, but we're not because we're, we're not recognizing we live our mission and our vocation. We live in love and serve out of our bodies. Well, if we're not taking care of that, 
we're honestly not going to show up well as a spouse. We're not going to show up well as a parent. We're not going to show up well as a doctor, a nurse, or a janitor, a teacher. You know, if you don't have energy, it's hard to, it's hard to do those things well. And if we don't have energy, it's usually because we're not taking care of our body. <laughs> you know, and then coupled with that, our mind. And so at that time, I remember thinking, you know, we, we had a good conversation, the girl. Um, and, and later, I remember thinking to myself, one day, I'm going to work with people as a whole person, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, like all the different areas of what it means to be a person, I'm going to work with them. And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that there was some platform, something that I was going to do with people for that. I wasn't sure if it was going to be men and women or just women, but I knew that there was a call and a mission in that. So as I continued in life and really tried to grow in a lot, you know, I was doing a lot in the fitness world and the health world, holistic health, herbalist uh, or um, uh, aromatherapy and I became a doula and just all this stuff from kind of a holistic mode. And, um, and then I also went on and was traveling a lot with music. And, and so kind of over the next several years was doing a lot um, in both. I, I, when people are like, Oh my gosh, you do so many things. But for me, it was kind of two things. I did the, I did uh, a lot in the world of music, which typically combined some aspect of ministry or not, you know, um, and then I worked in, as so I taught music lessons as well, I had a music studio. And so I did stuff with that. But then I also had like my health world, you know, which was personal training, group fitness, aromatherapy, doula, you know, so for me, it was more like two, two pillars, sort of, and my faith for me, and then my faith kind of encompassed that. And so there's always this. Um, and then also, we were taught like just growing up personal development. So really, um, mindset was a big part of our life as well. So that was something that was very much fostered in us too. So I really approached life from that mindset and from that perspective of like a whole person. But I wasn't seeing anyone doing doing anything with that. You know, people would talk about theology, the body, but a lot of times it was more focused on people's understanding of it was either more, more just about the sexual aspect of it or, um, or the spiritual part of it, but not the fullness of what does it mean to really live whole, right? And even I remember one of the homilies and then later on digging deeper on this, but learning, you know, even in scripture, when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, the actual translation of perfect in that context was actually be whole as your heavenly father is whole. And, and it was interesting. So, so a year ago I was moving, um, I was moving to North Carolina. I was living in Nashville at the time, had been there for a long time. And as I was moving, it was kind of, again, just, uh, very much a God move. <laughs> a lot of things involved with that. It was a little bit of a bucket list to live by the ocean, but there was a lot involved. And, um, I, I kept feeling like, okay, I think that season for me to work with a whole person is, is going to be coming. It just was very strong in my heart. And every time I pray, I was like, I don't know how, where, what, but I think it's, it's, it's coming. And right about the time that I was moving, a friend of mine reached out and she said, hey, have you heard of Self-Worth Strategy, the Women's School of January Donovan? And um, I was like, actually, yes, I know her love the stuff that she's doing, but I'm just moving. Can we, she's like, cause I, she's like, I think you would love some of this that we're doing with it. And I was like, love that. Can we talk in like two months? Cause I'm just moving this week. <laughs> and, um, and prior to that, so I met this gal named January Donovan. We actually went to college together, although I didn't know her. She's a, little, a couple years older than me. Um, I didn't know her as well in school and then, but we ended up reconnecting, um, at a reunion and, 
some stuff and kind of just been like sideline cheerleaders for each other. You know, she was always just kind of a social media cheerleader for me, what I was doing. And I was a cheerleader for her with her stuff. And, um, she had also ended up reaching out to me probably about five years ago, four or five years ago. Um, but I was, it was the time that we were launching our, my, my women's women's ministry. (laughs) And, um, and again, so the timing was kind of off. Well, I moved here and again, kind of, kind of a funny story with this, but I, um, got involved in this faith and business event here, uh, which was actually not a Catholic event, but just beautiful, uh, just my beautiful Protestant brothers and sisters to just have a heart for the Lord and, and service and business. And I was at playing, I was playing music for this fundraiser for them. And this, uh, older gentleman comes up and he said, I have a, can I share with you a word from the Lord? I was like, sure. And, um, the gist of it was, he said, you know, Lord, he said, you've had some, the Lord told me you've had some desires on your heart and he wanted you to know that, um, those are really good, that they are from him and that those would be coming into fruition the end of 2020 and then fully or the end of 2019 and then fully into 2020. And I just started crying because <laughs> that really encompassed just a couple of things left. And one of those was working with the whole person. Well, I, a couple of days later, I have a, I wake up in the middle of the night where I'm not awake, not asleep, kind of that weird in between space. And I felt like I'm supposed to write, right? So I get, I have my journal and the Lord gives me this whole vision for working with women for, um, almost like a mentorship, uh, with the whole person, mindset, help the physically, spiritually, like all these different arenas. Okay. And, um, and I wake up and I've got paid. And at first I woke up and I was like, did I dream that? Was that a thing? And then I take out my journal and I was like, yeah, we got pages. <laughs> this is true. And, um, but then I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do with this? This seems so big and I don't even know where to start. So I take several of these and I just am like praying over it. And a couple of days later, um, either Aaron in January, one of them ended up reaching out to me again and said, Hey, would you want to take a look at this uh, with the women's school? Yeah, and I did. And what it is, it is, uh, as a self-worth strategist, um, it is a holistic, I would say it's a holistic integrated approach to the whole person. And what I mean by that is we strategically mentor women into a life of wholeness. And so when, so we're looking at the whole person, we're looking at, you know, health, meaning physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. Um, we're looking at um, wealth, meaning both time and resources. We're looking at family, intimacy, friendship, um, self-worth. You know, our self-worth dictates so much of the space that we operate out of, right? In our relationships, in our work, in everything. Um, and as so we really just dive into, you know, our contribution, our environments, so we're, we're digging into everything that really that it means to be a human. And, and particularly our focus is with women with it. Um, and so, uh, so I, as soon as I started looking, seeing this and learn, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what the Lord showed me. <laughs> so I just dove into, I immediately knew, yes, I want to get involved with this. Um, and then in the process, also, uh, another strategy, her and her husband started something called a Metanoia Catholic, which is basically a mindset coaching program, um, for Catholics. And, um, so have been doing the training for that. And so I, I really combine, um, 
within my self worth strategy. So we, I do mastermind groups with women is a six month formation program. Um, and I do one-on-one coaching with them and, uh, and then there's also a self study option for them. But I am seeing, you know, I, I've been in ministry like the majority of my life and I have seen beautiful transformations. I have never seen any other ministry have such long-term insane transformational, uh, changes in people, you know, like you, people will go to a, um, you know, to a retreat and maybe they had, they had the high and it lasts for a little bit. I've never seen something where they literally they're given, um, because I think it's not just education. It's very much also the how to, you know, we can know this is where I am. This is where I want to go. But I think a lot of times we can feel stuck, right? Or we're saying, you know, I prayed all the novenas and, and my life's not changing. And I'm, you know, I'm going to mastery day and I'm making the holy hours. Well, it's because we forgot we have a body and we have a mind and maybe we're praying on the right things. But it, there's a reason scripture talks about taking our thoughts captive. There's a reason scripture talks about being transformed by the renewal of our mind. There's a reason scripture says there's life and death in our tongue. So I really get to, uh, get to work with um, women on this and just see their lives radically transform into living lives of um, integration and wholeness and transformation and honestly freedom. So that's what I get to do. It's amazing. <laughs> it, it's am- what Go you're ahead. saying is so amazing actually. And I, um, I think what people don't understand is now, especially now there's more, there is more um, education and awareness of the mental aspects of health. You know, mm. the World Health Organization, I think it was back in 2010, um, changed the definition of health itself to mean the state of complete physical, emotional, and social and mental well-being. Yes. So it's not just about, oh, I'm not physically sick. Mm. And I mean, I've noticed even in... Um, you know, when I, 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 so I've been a critical care nurse for three years and I was also on the floor and I noticed that the patients who had more, um, positive mindsets, um, the ones that were more spiritually sound, I think they, um, and asking God for the right things, not just, I'm going to get up and walk out, but actually accepting that, what the ones that really accepted that whatever challenges God gives them, you know, there are blessings in that. And you just asking for the strength to overcome. I think those, they were the ones that were, um, faster recovery. Yes. You know, and the thing is, I'm going back to that girl that came up to you and said, why should I eat healthy? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do that? Um, there's actually a study recently published that showed that the increase in fatty acids consumption actually increases the risk for anxiety and depression. Physically, it does affect the way our bodies chemically work. Yes. And so there is a physical aspect. And then you have the emotional aspect where you're looking at yourself and you're not feeling like you're looking good. And you're also physically not feeling good. So it all, like what we do to our bodies really can affect, um, you know, the, our, our mindset and our moods, our emotions, and we can feel down on ourselves whenever, and it just becomes this never ending cycle. And so, you know, and 
to integrate both. It's not just, you're right, there are people that go, that maybe go to retreat, so they only take care of the spiritual aspect. They'll go to a therapist and only take care of the mental aspect, or they'll go to their doctor and they'll take care of the physical aspect, but they don't think about putting all of it together. And so um, I'm really glad that you talk about how you do everything and you encompass physical, Mm -hmm. mental, and spiritual, emotional. Um, so my question to you then is because you are working with women, um, I feel like there's this pressure. I mean, there's always been pressure for women. I feel like, um, you know, and I think we're moving now to a culture where it's okay for men to be domestic a little bit, but we're still not completely there. And especially from other generations, sometimes you'll see them, you know, still want the women is still the domestic one at home so they have to take care of that and we're now at an age where most people cannot live on a single income right so Mm -hmm. they're not just moms and wives they're also working moms and wives and so all of that so the stress from work and the stress from home put together um and so how have you seen that affect the women that come into you yeah That honestly has been one of my favorite things is to see the transformation, particularly for for moms. I think because, you know, moms are so, um, the majority of moms are coming into this space and they're working from a place of such depletion, right? They're pouring themselves at home. They're pouring themselves out in their job. You know, there's no break, right? But then on top of it, there's a lot of that mom guilt, right, for, for taking time, even the idea of, of, well, maybe I should do this for myself, but really the house needs cleaned and I need to do this for my husband and work just caught. What is beautiful, one of the things that we talk a lot about um, in the women's school, and we give them very practical tools for this, how do we fill our cup to be able to serve better so that we can contribute from a place of peace? So we can contribute from a place of generosity, you know, because if we are so run down and, and, and a big part of that is going back to our self-worth, because if we don't know who we are and if we don't know how our, our self-worth was wired and what most people don't realize that is our self-worth is really wired from utero until about seven years old, you know, and you probably know that from medical stuff, but we know that that is massive for the way that we comprehend, uh, the way that we view ourselves the way that we view those around us. Most of us were raised, and not even because our parents meant to, or the adults around us meant to, they just didn't know. Most of us were were raised in a space of where we were taught to please, to perfect, to perform, all these different things for us to feel like we have value and and that that we have worth, you know? And, And a lot of moms are operating still out of that belief system. Well, if they've never been taught that you can actually rewire that, we know because of neuroplasticity that we can actually rewire our self-worth. We know because of um, neurogenesis that our brain can actually grow new neurons. You know, we know all these things that actually we're not stuck. And I find most moms find themselves stuck because they were never shown how. And that's really what I get to work with women on is how do we get out of this? So you see these moms who... They may have, some may have five kids, 10 kids, two kids, and then some of them are working and at home and they're living, their homes are so peaceful and they're thriving and it's because they're, they're given the tools. 
I mean, so go, um, I actually saw a meme yesterday that said it, it, there's, um, there's a reproductive therapist, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I follow her on Instagram and she, she had a post that said um, every, you know, the post that say, says everyone or says no one. And it said, every mom, I feel guilty for thinking about my health. And it is, it is that whole, and then, you know, when you're, especially for working moms, you're, you feel guilty for being out of the home because you feel like you need to be there with your kids. And then you get home and there's just, you know, it's, it's sometimes chaos. And so, um, I don't think, and then you, you do put taking care of yourself in the back of your mind. And just a personal story. I remember when my, I have two, two little boys and they're four and six now, but I remember there was a time when I didn't realize I hadn't eaten breakfast until two thirty PM. Like, oh, cause yeah. I would make their breakfast and because I'm in the kitchen and I'm washing dishes and I'm taking care of them. I'm like, did I feed myself? <laughs> did I eat? No, I don't think I did. And so, um, I think that's amazing that you, are able to help these women see and give them the tools to actually um, work on themselves. And, you know, like you said, you can't, it's harder to take care of others when you are not taken care of. Um, From a caregiver standpoint, as a nurse, as a mom, as I teach nursing students too. So as a teacher, like I've noticed when you're not taking care of yourself, it is a lot harder to, come up with your own coping strategies because yeah. all these things that you know affect us in a negative way physically have a negative effect on our emotions it increases cortisol levels increases the stress all and just our health ends up deteriorating and we don't understand why and it's because of everything that we put into ourselves um, mm-hmm. another question i have for you is how much have you seen especially with i i mean parents are always comparing themselves to others and things like that. Like it's so easy to do that. How have you noticed that moms feel pressured when they see other, cause especially on social media, like everyone's posting the perfect family photo. <laughs> always. <laughs> and then all of these, all these like Instagram bloggers post these beautiful pictures of their pristine homes and super organ like Marie Kondo organized kind of pantries <laughs> and I'm like that is not real like that's not reality so have you noticed anything like that with your clients yeah so one of the things that we talk a lot about is getting rid of comparison and competition because comparison and competition as women, when we go into comparison competition mode, a couple things. Number one, it makes us miserable. <laughs> and, and, you know, and we end up not feel, you know, the thoughts that go through our minds are not life-giving thoughts. The feelings and emotions we experience are not life-giving. The behavior that comes out of those and the fruit of that becomes out of all that is not life-giving, right? So the competition and comparison is not from Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so the we, it's, it is so powerful when women actually learn to collaborate and to rise. You know, as women, we should be one of those biggest cheerleaders, right? And so what I have found is as women go through this course, that actually the more and more that they go into this and they learn to rewire 
their mindset and they learn to take their thoughts captive and they learn to, um, even just honestly, even the skills of maintaining more of an orderly home just for their own peaceful feeling. Cause again, we go through, uh, I mean, we're, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, um, I don't know that intense is there. It's, it's very, uh, very integrated and it's very, there's, there's a lot to it. I mean, it ultimately is a lifetime study, but we go through it pretty in, intensively for those six months where they are learning. We're diving into dreams and goals and what do you even want for your life? You know, most moms have never even thought about it because they're in survival mode, right? Um, we go into uh, self-worth. How was that wired? What do we want to wire? Who is the woman that we want to be? How many women are just, we're just trying to survive instead of being told that actually God gives the gifts to design the woman that we want to be, that he created us to be, right? That we actually get to do that. Part of being made in the image and likeness of God is that he shared part of his creative power and genius with us, right? Not just through the act of conceiving a child, but also through designing our life, through the gifts that he gave us, through our talents, through, through, um, through the skills that we purposely cultivate. And, you know, so we dive into that. How do you do that? What is the process for that? We dive into mindset. How does, you know, how do you rewire beliefs and how does that impact when thoughts come in that end up having not life giving fruit? How do you even change that? Right. How do you handle anxiety, stress, frustration, pandemics, you know, like we dive into all of that. How do you handle, um, and we talk about effective communication. How do you show up in a different way with like good tonality that can make or break a situation? How do you have hard conversations? How do you hold boundaries? How do you um, inspire people and, and encourage them to rise? How do you, you know, we, how do you become a confident woman with a competency? And, and we dive into all these different components. And what, what I have seen over and over and over again, and all the strategists can attest to this, even within the first like couple weeks, these moms are seeing massive changes in themselves and in their families because they're showing up different because suddenly they have the skills and the scripts to do that, which then if they're on social media, they're not so affected, but they're also being more intentional about their time on social media, right? Because for some moms, it's like, let me just get lost in this mode. <laughs> and, um, and so it's giving them, uh, that's one of the reasons we also talk about dreaming. What is the dream for your life? What is the dream for each of those eight arenas? Because if we know where we're going, it's the dream that fuels the discipline. Because when you're excited about something for your life, even if it's just, I want a calm family, you know, that loves the Lord and that we have fun together and that we become holy together, we become saints together, you know, that there is a game plan for your family and for, for your marriage and for your, for your personal self, you know, for all those different elements. But suddenly these women are having the tools for those that they were never taught. So I just see a massive transformation of women coming out of this, living with a freedom so that when they get on Instagram, there's not that comparison. You know, it's more like you go girl, if that is how your life really is. And I hope and pray it is awesome. And if not, I really hope and pray that you have what you need, you know? See, I, I like what you're saying because working with teenagers, um, you know, one of the things that I always worry about is if, if they're going to, well, they're going to go into college, period, because college is kind of crazy. But even if they go to a Catholic school, you kind of know which ones are Catholic in name and which ones are Catholic schools. Yeah. And um, one of the hardest things for me, and this is where, uh, incorporating theology of the body has been beneficial for my my work is when I'm talking to a lot of my female students and 
some of the things they say to you in class or in private, whatever, it, it's heartbreaking. Yes. I remember one girl years ago, she, she was one of the smartest girls in the school, very, you know, um, good head on her shoulders too, not just book smart, mm-hmm. very pretty girl. She was in different clubs. She was in different sports, whatever. And she literally said to me in class, well, sometimes I don't, I, I have to be careful how I talk in front of boys. Cause if you sound too smart, they don't like you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you, you need to keep some better company. But the thing that I found interesting is that when I'm sharing, cause you know, you talked earlier about, you know, what God's design is for you. So yes. like one of the be- most beautiful experiments, yeah, talking to the boys and that's really important stuff, but I got into theology of the body cause my, my school had already been incorporating it and they had two teachers that were doing it already, but they were both female. So the lady who got me to go, she goes, we really need a guy to go because I need a guy to come talk to the girls. Cause sometimes when I talk to them, well, it's like, well, of course you tell me I'm pretty and I have worth cause you're like my mom. Right. So the, the, uh, What's been powerful for me, because and, and you know how it is, we're just sharing what we've been taught. This is not my theology. I, I'm never going to be that clever, but you know, God bless John Paul II. But um, but it's just sometimes saying the things to them that John Paul taught us, and telling them, you know, especially that that whole Ephesians five thing, saying you qualify for this because you're a woman, not because of anything you can do. for or appear to a man from the moment you were determined to be a woman in the womb you were this was what was meant for you Mm -hmm. and to see that how affirm they felt like Mm -hmm. in a beautiful sense it was like they they some of them would get emotional someone just have this look on their face and i think what was so beautiful about it was in the deepest part of their heart deep down they always knew that was true but they believed everything around them and that and, and so I think the funniest thing I ever heard, which I thought was kind of cool, was one time I was with some students. We were just feeding some homeless people one night at the shelter. And one of the girls in my class calls me into the kitchen. It's like two other boys with her and, you know, they were serving some food. And I go, what do you guys want? We're supposed to be, you know, feeding these people. And they go, well, we kind of have to tell you something. And I go, tell me what? And they said, well, like most of the senior boys are mad at you right now. And I go, for what? And they go, well, a lot of stuff you're, you're teaching us, the girls are starting to believe it, but a lot of the girls aren't settling for them anymore. Like, like you better show me, like that whole Fulton Sheen thing about the man has to aspire to be at her level. Yes. They're like, you better, and it's like, there's no guilt for feeling like he should be, yeah. you know, trying to show you, like he, you, him wanting to win your heart is gonna make him wanna be a better person. Yeah. So for me to hear what you're doing, thinking, okay, I could, because I just had a class graduate, because, you know, we start school early in Arizona. It's like, you guys should really think about, you know, besides where you go to school, whatever, but like, think about how you're going to help form yourselves. Like, what are you going to do later in life to continue to see, or to learn better than what I taught you, you know, of what, what God, how God sees you, and how it's okay to see yourself in this positive way. Yeah. So I'm excited, because I'm, I mean, I know what I'm doing, and and Angel's doing too, with, with, with our, with our, her background with theology of the body, but then I'm seeing one of my classmates, oh my gosh, she's doing this thing over here. And it's, I think it's just so exciting. Thank you. Thank you and everyone oh, yes. that's doing that. That's amazing. Yes. Well, God, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I recently started learning about St. Hildegard and she was, she's a doctor of the church. And this was a thousand years ago. And actually a lot of what we're teaching in the women's school 
She was teaching this to the women, you know, just that. And it's interesting because women are so attacked and men are also in a different way, but the evil one, we know that the enemy, the serpent hates the woman, Mary, but in a particular way, he also hates Mary's daughters, you know, that he, he, he does hate us. Like our bodies are a constant reminder to the world that we're called to be bride, you know, that everyone is called to be bride, that we are called to receive, conceive, and bear forth life, right? You know, sometimes physically, but always spiritually. And so women have been so massively attacked. And, and I come back to also what Fulton Sheen talked about, how, you know, the, the level of society really can boil down to the quality of the women. You know, as women rise and really become the women that God created us to be, where we know our worth. Not just like in our head, like, oh, I'm a daughter of the king. Okay, that sounds nice. But where we know that we have an intrinsic worth and value and dignity, no matter what has been done to us, no matter what we've done, no matter, you know, any of those things that our worth is objectively given to us by God who he, you know, before time began, like he had us in mind. And when you know, and that is even a wiring for you in your brain, so that your brain believes it, so that your emotions believe it, and your, so that your behavior believes it, so that the fruit believes it. And when you go through this, um, you start seeing women live out of this new space. So suddenly, as women level up, men start to level up, you know, because it's true. Like when women rise and they're like, actually, you know, I think sometimes there's a lot going on, obviously in the porn world, and you know we can we can point fingers all day, and, and both men and women struggle with it, you know. Um, but it's interesting because as women, if we would also start to say, actually, no, enough is enough. I'm not going to let myself be used, right? I am worth more than that. I am valuable, and I have a dignity. And there is a man who who wants to rise to that, right? And I think for a lot of women, a lot of times they hear the message, well, there's no one like that out there. He doesn't exist. You know, you just need to settle. No, you actually don't. You know, like there are good men out there who absolutely want to fight for you. You know, 100%. And I think that scarcity mentality, even for the high school girls, and we've seen that a lot in our ministry, that in both high school and college, women, there is almost this prevailing message, well, I have to put out in some way or other because that's what the guys want and otherwise, you know, there's not going to be a man who's going to want me. And it's like, no, actually the good men are really going to want you and they're going to admire you and they are going to respect you and they're going to love you well. That's probably one of her kids. I have to share this with you because this is, yeah. this is what you're saying is see, I have a 13 year old daughter. Mm. So we talk and it's like from the time we knew she was on the way, especially when I found out it was a girl, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to make sure her and I, and, and she's, she's my heart. I mean, she, oh, she's amazing. Mm. And so I sometimes will talk to her, you know, we, we do the boys thing. And, and yeah. so I've always enjoyed that. And plus I even worked at a girl's school years ago. And what was kind of cool yeah. was if we had like five or 10 minutes left of class, they would say, well, can you like translate things that guys say to them? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> Tell me what they say. That's amazing. So I, what does that mean? I go, well, this really means this. And they're looking at you when like, they know you're, you're telling the truth. But the one thing I'd, I'd want to share is the fact that so much of like, you talk about with the women and like the competition, the guys have that same problem with what's expected. Yes. And, and, and like, uh, 
like you remember when Christopher talked about in Hebrew, the, the male word was zakar, you know, to remember. Yes. So if you think about that, like how many things ha have hurt our world because men do not remember their responsibilities? Yeah. So with teenage girls, I go, well, how many times does he forget? He treats you differently in front of his friends, you know, so he's forgetting, et cetera. So I've had a lot of boys when I've shared the theology of the body or just even just the, the church's teachings on what it means to be a, a child of God. Yeah. They don't always say it in front of the guys because, you know, they have to be the guy. But yeah. I, whether they've written something to me or they pulled me aside, they said, well, thank you for sharing because mm -hmm. I was always taught to treat girls like this. And mm -hmm. sometimes the hardest thing was it felt so lonely because I literally thought sometimes I was the only one that, that mm -hmm. um, felt this way. But the other thing, and I could speak as a, as a many years ago, a teenage boy, was when I had conversations with my real friends, like the, 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 the guys you were really close to, yeah. you know, so you're hanging out with the guys, but this is the guy like, you know, one of the things I used to do a lot was go up my parents' roof and just hang out and, you know, take in the sights. So yeah. my real close friends were up there with me. And it was amazing how many of them, the things they would say, mm. you know, like, like this, like, I really love my girlfriend or even ones who said, I thought about even being a priest. I mean, there, there's things that they would disclose when yeah. they knew you were with a friend that you can trust. Mm -hmm. And it's just that, you know, they're out there. And I think the most important thing is just like, I always think of whether it was um, my wife to my, my mom when I got older and I was kind of testing the boundaries. Yeah. It's like to tell the girls, when you sit there and like tell a boy, you will not disrespect me, but then you follow through with it. He's, he's either gonna walk away or he's going to respect you, but yes. you have to hold him to that standard. But it goes both ways too, because people, you know, women can be manipulative as well, but it's just, you, you get what you expect. I mean, I even tell the girls, you, he's mm -hmm. going to see whatever you show him. Yes. You know, you, you are so intelligent. You are so talented, blah, blah, blah. But all you want to think about is how you look. Yes, you're beautiful, but what, what else do you have to show me? And mm -hmm. so it's just, you know, we try to encourage them. To, to yeah. think, to see that there's more to it than that. And, you know, like, it was almost like this, like the Super Bowl halftime show it was so disappointing because it was like, but there's so much more to who you are than the way you were dancing on stage. And then your daughter's up there with you. What are you teaching her? Yeah. You know, so it, it's just, um, you know, like my daughter likes to dance. She loves music. I mean, surprise, surprise, her parents have that background, but yeah. it's just, we, I still will try to, when we talk about it, I still talk a lot about, you know, well, there's a lot of stuff that, that goes on in that field and it's fine. I mean, it's good. You're still doing a good thing, but you know, who are you as a person? You know, what, don't you, what are you not willing to compromise? Like what, you know, and, and so like I was saying earlier, she loves K-pop and like, I, I actually, you know, I, I she has this real fascination with Korean culture because of that. So yeah. I sent her this video on like Korean saints recently. And then I literally found one last night. It was like 10 K-pop stars who are still practicing Catholics. Boom, sent it to her. So let her see that there's more to it than just what you see on TV. Yeah. Carlos, know, so I, I just want to honor you for the way that you, as a TOB dad, if you will, I mean, you. for a daughter to be able to, to be raised in that, that is so powerful to have her father showing her from the time, I mean, obviously from the time that your wife was even pregnant with her, you know, and then growing up in that mode, what a beautiful gift. And I just honor yeah. you and your fatherhood. You. That is amazing. 
I, I've What's told it, him what, several times that he is his daughter's saving grace because we are, you know, we're, we are, I, as we've already talked about, we're in this culture where, especially now with the way the media portrays how women should be treated and how women should dress. Um, you know, I was, I, I remember my sister dressing up to go dancing at a club and I'm like, what are you? And it was worse than what I thought. I used to get in trouble for what I would wear. My sister is going out (laughs) something completely. And I was like, what, what are you wearing? And she's like, Oh, my friends are worse. And I'll look at the pictures and I'm like, Oh my God, like this is insane. And so I told, I, I've told them several times. I'm like, you are your daughter's saving grace because you are building her up from a very young age to know that that's not how she should be treated. That is, you know, that she is better than that, that she doesn't have to dress that way or look a certain way. And it's very powerful coming from, I think your father, because it, he became that example of how she should be treated by a man. Yeah. And And I appreciate that. Thank you. But so one of the things I tell the boys a lot is because, um, you know, that Zakar thing, that the, the Ephesians 5.25. Yeah. One thing that men never talk about is that to be a man, to be a real man, you see the, you know, the, all the grit and all that, but it's scary. Yeah. Like to, to be, you know, the, to, whether you want to call it the head of the family, which I've always interpreted that as the responsibility of loving your wife and your kids yeah. to, you know, what the protector and all that. It's like, it, it is scary. You know, there's moments where, you know, whether it's because you may see yourself in a certain class or not. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, my first TOB experience was really growing up because my mom would tell me stories about her dad. Wow. And sorry, <laughs> my favorite one I have to tell you was, and my mom's 70, how old is my mom now? 73. Oh. And she's forgetting everything you can imagine, but she remembers when she was three, she, uh, they were on vacation in Tijuana and she, she fell in the pool and in the deep end and she just, you know, went down and she remembers like not even trying to, you know, swim up. Just, she just, sunk. Yeah. and she remembered my grandfather getting her. So he, you know, he pulls out of the pool, you know, he's, but the thing that was most amazing was when he saw she was okay, she remembers him asking her why did you just you didn't even try to swim like you just sunk mm-hmm. and she remembers vividly telling him i knew you would get me oh three years old mm. so you think of that was and my mom loved, I have an older sister. She loved us without shame. Mm. So that was what taught me how to parent. And I, oh, I've made lots of mistakes, but, but uh, it's just, and I still do. But I think, because you were talking about my daughter and I just, I have to tell you this. So I teach theology. I, I work at a, the school I work at is a small, it's like 300 kids. Mm. And I went there, long story, but my son goes there. And I mentioned earlier, he's autistic. So like, it was better for him to be at a small school. Right. So I was working at a school with 1,200 kids. So it was kind of like, it, it, it was, 
it was a calling too. I mean, this school really wanted the theology of the body too. So that was cool. But the nice thing is that he's going to be a senior next year mm. and he's going to learn theology of the body in class for me. And so the plan is that my daughter's going to go to school. She's in eighth grade coming into next year. So the plan would be, she's going to also, I get to teach them in class and the school's okay with it. But I mean, we talk about stuff at home sometimes, but it's just that, you know, to actually be able to do that with my kids, mm. it's just, and, and if, you know, this too, the, the content can be very mature, yes. you know, or I'm sure some of the things you talk with your clients about is very personal. Yeah. And sometimes I have parents talk to me and they're like, well, it's awkward. And I'm like, um, this is your kid. This isn't about you. Like my mo my mother would tell us everything. I, I told you my sister was older. So one day I'm like, man, why is she so cranky? You know? And my mom, we sat down and all right, let's talk about a menstrual cycle. And I was like, Oh, the thing in the trash. Okay. I, I get it. So it's like, okay. All right. But it's the way the body works. Yes. You know, you're going to get married. You're going to have a wife. She's, you know, you're going to have to go to the store and get the stuff for her too. It's like, okay. So it's just like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and and well, going how much back, shame does that cause for women? You know, so it's, it's really, we have to open our minds. Going to what you're saying though, Carlos, is that, um, you know, parents having trouble talking to their kids, there is that, especially from um, immigrant families, because they're, they do tend to be more conservative. Um, and a lot of these conversations very taboo as far as your your body they don't talk about it in the in the self-worth they they shame other girls for acting or dressing a certain way without really understanding the reason behind it and so just to kind of you know a lot of that tends to be cultural mm -hmm. um and, you know, I remember I was 18 and I brought up something about sex and my mom was like, I'm not comfortable talking about that. I'm like, I'm 18. Like, when will you ever be comfortable? You know, now that I'm married, she'll maybe say a little innuendo or two, like a little joke. But that's, that's Great. the extent of it. There's no actual deep conversation. And the funny thing is she's a labor and delivery nurse. Oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm like, you should be the one to really teach me. But it's just culturally, she wasn't, she wasn't comfortable. So yeah. I kind of want to go back to your clientele, though, because we did talk about, we did mention anxiety and depression. And, you know, anxiety statistically affects a quarter of the population. There's yes. a lot of people undiagnosed. So we know those numbers are even higher. And yeah. it's twice as likely to happen to women than in men. Yes. So um, of your clients, um, do you have anybody that are on medications that you know of for anxiety, depression, and have you seen them actually be able to pull back, maybe to lower their dosages or actually get off the medication once you start this strategy with them? Yeah. So that's been, again, I, so I grew up in a very holistic family. Um, I have a mom who's a family nurse practitioner, but um, we grew up using essential oils and herbs and, you know, so, so it was very holistic minded, um, but also with an appreciation for both Western and Eastern meds, you know, you, you need both, right? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the coolest things for me has been seeing how as women go through this course and they learn, they, they actually have tools that were given to them by God 
that they had no clue of that they're not needing their medications all the time. Now, I, you know, as a strategist, I will never say get off your medication. You know, that's not something I'll ever say. What they will notice is, wait, I forgot to take it, but I was okay all day today. And why is because they're learning. So for example, one thing that is not talked about and massively, massively needs to. So most of us have read in, we've heard the gospels, we've heard the scripture readings, you know, um, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We've heard, take your thoughts captive. We heard that there's life and death in the tongue. You know, we read it, we hear it, and then it kind of goes one ear and out the, the next, right? What we don't realize is scripture is actually like really practical and very, me, it's like, and also even very um, neurosciencey, biological, physiological, <laughs> because what happens is so a circumstance happens in our life. So maybe it is the mom who she is working at home. She has, you know, five kids, uh, finances are stressed. She can't seem to live up to expectations and her marriage, whatever it is, right? She has all the things going so her amygdala, which is kind of that fear center, stress mode, um, is completely hijacked. Her, which means her frontal cortex is not able to think any kind of logical thought process. Um, you know, suddenly she's just in complete depletion survival mode, right? That is a perfect recipe for stress, anxiety, probably pop her on some pills is what most people would do. If she learned... And again, it's a skill and we, you know, there's a lot of practice and a lot of things we do to help people get this because it's a whole different thing. One of the first things that a lot of times I'll have my, my clients do is they, is we'll spend a week, um, start thinking about what you're thinking about. Most women will come back and say, holy cow, 98, 99% of my thoughts are negative and they are fear-based and they are frustration, and they are anger, and they are bitterness, they are unforgiveness, they are, I hate this, I hate, you know, and, and it's this massive, like, holy cow, and what, what, and then we start to dive in, because what happens is we have a circumstance, and circumstances are really just neutral for the most part, but we have a thought about it, we have a thought about the circumstance, our thought, we now know, can actually be measured. There's actually energy from our thoughts that causes a hormonal and a physiological response in our bodies. So it actually impacts our cells. Our DNA can raise our cortisol levels. It can lower them. Oxytocin, raise, you know, okay. So suddenly, we have this thought like, oh my gosh, life is overwhelming, okay? Well, suddenly, this, you know, we have this, maybe the feeling is then overwhelm, Okay. And that, you know, this is the emotion because that we, again, because of that physiological hormonal response in our bodies, our cortisol level is shooting up. Then out of behavior, what are we doing? We're probably being a lot more, oh my gosh, okay, I got to get this. And we're probably scrambling more and all this. Well, the fruit from that behavior then, because a lot of times that behavior is stemming from the way that we feel, what does that fruit turn into? More overwhelm right? More stress. And it becomes this loop. And we literally wire stress into our brains. We know that neurons that fire together, wire together. So we literally program our brains to be in anxiety and stress mode. And most people have never known, oh my gosh, I can change that. And one of the examples I give people is it's like, it would be like a little two-year-old being given full reign in the house, no discipline, 
They've got the kitchen sink knives. They've got the markers coloring all over the walls. They, you know, it's like when we don't learn to manage our minds or even recognize how that impacts every single part of our person and our outside world, if we don't recognize that, then suddenly it is literally like a two-year-old running around all crazy with no discipline. <laughs> that's a recipe for disaster, right? That little child's going to get killed. <laughs> Not good. And so seeing the change for women as they start to learn, even after, excuse me, I've had like um, one of my new people that I've been working with, we had just a couple sessions. Mass, and I am blown away as is seeing this change in her brain and she's seeing it. She's like, like, I'm not waking up where, you know, before it's like you wake up and your brain's going, oh my gosh, this and this and this and we're going, and all the thing. Well, 90% of our thoughts are actually the same thoughts from the day before, the day before, the day before. We're just recycling. <laughs> and we've never been taught, hey, you can actually think a new thought. And we have something in our brain called a reticular activating system, which is basically a filtering system put in there by God. It's a reason why when we buy a new car, suddenly we see all the white cars, right? We pay attention. So where energy flows is where our focus goes or where our focus goes, energy flows, right? So those neurons will fire towards that. So if I'm constantly thinking, oh my gosh, life is so stressful, life is so crazy, my brain will literally look for ways to confirm you're right. Your life is so crazy. If there's so much anxiety, we're so stressed, right? Now, if you're refocusing that, which think about it, why does scripture talk about, think about what is good, what is pure, what is beautiful, right? Again, because when you change your thoughts on those things, and it, I, um, it was interesting, I was reading this book on neuroscience while I was also reading Proverbs. Read neuroscience and Proverbs together, it'll rock your world, because you start to recognize, holy cow, there's so much in scripture that talks about managing our mind about choosing our thoughts, about, I mean, the thought life that it talks about will rock your world. And then especially when you recognize, like how I have control over that. God gave me free will. Well, I literally get to create a life of anxiety based off of my internal world or a life of peace and a life of calm. Even when the world's crazy, even when you have, you know, children who sometimes they're listening, sometimes they're not, right? There's a way that you are able to suddenly show up completely different. And this is from these mamas who, again, like some of them have 10 kids, some of them have eight kids, some just have a couple, you know, some of them are working, some of them are dating. And across the board, it's just making a massive difference. We have high schoolers who are doing this course. We have college people who are doing this course. We have 70 year old women who are doing this course everything in between. And every single woman is seeing this incredible massive transformation, particularly with stress, anxiety, frustration, just all of those. See, and I, I love hearing this because um, one of the things that I've always been, I've reflected on this for several years now is, you know, the whole first Corinthians six nineteen temple, the Holy spirit. Many times Christians take that to just sexual purity. Right. You know, living in that way. And it's like, no, your whole person, like sometimes it, that, that even my, my own reflections on that even caused me to question myself. Like, what am I eating? Am I exercising enough? You were, you posted something years ago. I told her about it where you said exercise is a gift because you could still do it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, so I started thinking about 
because like, like for example like sports a lot and there's this one he's retired now but there was this boxer he was 47 and mm-hmm. he was still a world champion and it. and they were asking him about you know how he does it he says well i don't train when i just before a fight he goes i'm always training but he goes i before the fight i will prepare for the opponent he goes but during the year i'm always working out so he, for example, talked, he literally called something like soda liquid crack. He goes, there is no nutritional value whatsoever. You know, he's like, there's just certain things. Once you start to see how it, how it affects you, mm-hmm. you and, and you feel how good you feel because you've changed your, your attitude, your, cause I remember my mom once, cause I, I have a temper and it's gotten better, but years ago she said something that shook me up. She goes, you know, stupid people aren't worth your future heart attack. And I was like, yes, mom. You know, so it was kind of like, I can't get angry about every little thing. And ever since you've told me that, I've had to remind you of that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Remember what your mama said. (laughs) What did your mama say? (laughs) Yeah. But, but, uh, but it's funny because like, we will still do things that are not like I, like in the band I play in, I remember we were out of town about a, almost two years ago playing at a wedding and, you know, we're out with the guys and I remember, you know, I, I still have work to do, but I'm, I'm working on me. So we went out to um, lunch one day. <laughs> and so, you know, they're all getting their burgers and their steaks and all that. And, you know, I'm the drummer, so I'm supposed to be the primate. And I ordered my um, chicken salad. <laughs> And they're all like, dude, really? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I feel oh, better. I feel better. I mean, there's meat on it. Look, there's chicken, chicken breast, you know, but, but I, I, um, it's, but the other thing too, and I, and I, and I've never been shy about this. And I, I told my, I was very open with my kids about this because my father died in 2012 and my mother and I, we've had some, um, very honest conversations about it. And the hard part about it was that he was sick for 10 years, but yeah. he just kept going. And so when he got ill, it just, it was just 10 years of a big struggle, but he was never an active person. So I, you know, he was 68. And so I remember telling my kids, I said, well, look, this is why your mother and I are always telling you guys to, you know, you need to be active. And my daughter was five when he died. So I'm already kind of telling her that stuff. But she does dancing. She's a ba- ballerina, so she's busy with that anyway. But it's just that, you know, this is something that um, it weighs on me, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, um, I want to be there to see my kids grow up. I want to see, you know, like my mom's about to be a great grandma for the second time. I, my father is not going to see it, you know. Um, it's just there's things that, I mean, there's some things you can't help. I understand that. But it's like, you know, like I've said to Angel before I go, I don't want to leave my kids behind because of choices I've made. Yes. You know, I, I can understand accidents or just there comes a time your body just stops. But and I, I'll never forget when Tiger Woods won a golf tournament after his father passed away and he was a wreck. But it was just his father was a heavy smoker. Yeah. And it was just, you know, and that was before his whole world came crashing down. And at that time, he said, I, I really wish my dad was here because I mm. I really need him right now. But it's like and it happens, but it's just it didn't have to happen. And it's just that, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, Christians, I think, and I'm I, with the work you're doing, I, I applaud you for that because I think we need more of that. We even need more homilies talking about that. Like, like, yeah. what are you doing with your temple? What are you doing with your temple? 
Oh my gosh. My, um, something, a conversation, I actually had a priest ask me about this and he said, okay, he said, can you give me like a good reason? He's like, I need to be able to justify why to buy like just better foods or more, maybe organic or healthier options for, and he's, he's in charge of an order for an order. And I was like, father, I'm going to be honest. I'm selfish. And I want to be able to go to mass and to praise and to receive Jesus as often as I can. Without you priests, we don't have the sacraments. And I was like, what's happening in the world is, you know, if you priests are not taking care of your bodies, then you guys die early. Not because it was even God's will, not because, you know, sometimes what happens, and I think coming from a health background, it's a massive pet peeve for me because people like, you know, so-and-so will get this disease or this health issue or that health issue and, and they die and people are like, oh God, just must have wanted them home. Well, maybe it's because we made poor choices, right? Like if you step off that cliff, I'm not going to say, well, God, when you home, it's called, you made a stupid choice. I did. <laughs> you know I mean? Like there was a better option. Like it's one thing if you fall, right? Okay. But I'm just saying like, if we know that there's something called a law of gravity. If I step off of this and it's far way down, I might die, right? If I put water in my gas tank, I'm probably going to ruin my car or it's not going to go. Why are we surprised then when we put junk in our body and on our body or we don't put good things that we need in our body and then things happen and our bodies don't work? And we die early and we're living lives that instead of living a life of more wholeness and fullness, being able to contribute in, um, in an active way, um, suddenly we're not able to because we didn't take care of the gift of our bodies. And I think that's what's, you know, when I was like in the secular world from a training perspective, people are just obsessed with the body, right? And sometimes they forget the spirit, but then in some ways it's no better in the Catholic world, people are just thinking about the spirit. And it's like, you guys, yeah. we've got to marry those two because God married those two. You know, God is the one who said, you know, we're, you're creating the image and likeness of God. We have a body, mind, spirit. We operate on this. And we know that we get our bodies back. Holy cow. That in and of itself should tell us we have a massive responsibility with our life. The chances of this even existing is one in 400 trillion, you know? And if you think about that and no brain is exactly the same, like if you look at that and you think about that, that means you are here for a very specific reason, a very specific mission that only you can carry out. And so when we're not being good stewards of that, oh my goodness, what, what a, um, what a slap to our father. And the fact that Jesus took on a body, that in a, is a testimony in itself to the worth of the human being. Because why would he join himself to what we are if it's bad? Yeah. And see, and also I'm thinking of the witness aspect because when I, when I told Angel about when I met you, I, I remember, because, you know, the class we were in was huge. It was like 120 people. Yeah. And, you know, we would go to, we'd have meals and you'd meet people and whatever. But I remember it was just during the break time. And I, and you were in the lobby with a bunch of people and I heard you singing mm. and, and, you know, and it's like, I, you know, this beautiful voice as it was, but it's like there were you, it was all of you, you were singing, you were like glowing cause you're happy and all that stuff. So it's like, all of that is a testimony. Yeah. It's, it's like when Christopher said, you know, when people will be attracted to your, your, your light, 
And then they ask you, what is the source of your joy? Yeah. And then you say, well, it's Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, of the bodies that he, you know, our lives that he died. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it really, it, it really opens up, like you said, marrying the spirit and the, and the body together. It really opens up who we really are and what impact that can have on the world. If we actually um, were able to, to show that to other people who really need to see it. And um, speaking of putting things in our bodies, it, and it's not just what we ingest and some people smoke, but it's also what we put in our minds. I think what we surround ourselves with, what, you know, the things that we're watching, the things that we're listening to. And some, you know, some of the, you know, Carlos is a metalhead. And so he, okay. <laughs> he, he'll, he'll listen, he'll listen to stuff just to kind of get that, you know, it's an outlet and I, and I, and it's a, it's a, it's one of the healthier outlets. Right. Rather than, <laughs> I love the way you phrase that girl. <laughs> healthier outlets. Um, right. But you know, but there are times that, you know, some of the lyrics that we listen to are very hypersexualized and, you know, and then some of the things that, you, and it talks about, you know, when you hear some of the music, it's just like, it's degrading to people, yes. not just to women, but to men as well, you know? And so when you surround yourself with garbage and it goes in your head, that's what's going to come out. And so, you know, and, and it is a choice. It, it is very much a choice. And I think that's what people, and what's sad to me is when people understand that they have a choice and they know they have a choice and they choose not to, but then look at themselves in the mirror and feel bad. And is like, why can't I, then they start the comparison thing. And then it just becomes this never ending negative spiral down, 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 down. And so we need to break that cycle somehow. Um, and to, and, but, Part of it starts with, I think, the mind. It starts with it. The mind part, it, like if I, th if you ask me, what is probably like the number one thing? The self worth and the mindset part mm -hmm. dictate everything. And because when people are like, "Well, I want this, but I can't get it," because I think for some people, they they. They're like, well, I know what the right choice is. I went, but I, but I keep making not the right choice, right? Well, typically that's because they've wired the wrong one in their minds and they've never been taught how to change that. And so to me, that is one of the most massive things. And, and then also our words are really important. Something that people don't realize. So my, um, the guy who tunes my pianos, he was telling, he was talking about sound and he was saying how when you speak a word, or you play a note that that actually, the way um, the sound waves, they continually bounce off forever. Like they don't stop. So that word going out into the world stays forever. And what's super fascinating, there was a Japanese researcher who actually did um, some research on, on the power of words. And he, he spoke into these uh, like um, the water, words of like love, peace, Mother Teresa, kindness, and he froze them, okay? And he froze the water in like little pans or whatever. And then in another, he spoke like death, hate, uh, whatever, you know, just any...
grr, <laughs> kind of worm. He froze those. What's interesting then in looking those under a microscope, the ones with like love, peace, beautiful formation of the water crystals, and the other ones were these ugly formations of the water crystals. Oh. On top of that, there's been some other researchers, and one of them actually even just a friend of mine who's a teacher, um, where they had their um, their students. They had two plants, same kind of plant. Um, and they, and they were both getting the same amount of sun, water, all the things, but to one of them, they would speak life to it. You're beautiful. I love you. Keep growing to the one. I hate you. You're ugly. Die. It died. And I've had numerous people, you no know, numerous people who have done those. Well, think about it. Our body is what? Roughly 70, 80% water, give or take. If words have that much impact on water, how much do the words that we're probably saying in our minds all throughout our day, how much is that impacting ourselves? We know that our thoughts massively impact, you know, our cells, our DNA. And so those are things that a lot of times we're not thinking about. Our words have power. I am um, with two other, my, actually two of my best friends um, for quite a while. And they, could, they would always laugh because they would always hear me saying, stop that. Your words have power change that. What did we just say? You know, and we hold each other accountable on that because are we, our words, are they life-giving or are they the, are they poisoning? That, that is powerful because one, my first, I had two thoughts when you were saying that was one, it's like when people will talk about, um, I spoke it into existence. Yeah. And then two, it's you know, like the idea that Jesus is the word of God. The word was what created the universe. And yeah. And they were saying that in, in Hebrew thought that you, your words were a literally a part of you. Like they were, what you said had life, which is why they would keep their word because it would make you a liar if you broke your word. Yeah. And, it, and, and that's why, and, and it's funny you say that because I, I can't watch the news because of the way it is. And it's all, you know, fake news. And like I was telling her a story about how, even like in the 60s, some of the sports writers were doing to some athletes that were attempting to break a record that they didn't want broken because the, it was held at the time by someone that they revered. But um, that's why, you know, as much as it, it, it bothers me, but when people will not tolerate it, like when people will, um, you know, hold the media accountable, I'm like, well, that's good because of the fact that, you know, you're willingly putting false information out there. And, and, you know, like when I went like saying earlier about my temper, like, like a lot of times, um, besides, you know, if, if I got angry, I didn't just like respond with, with loud words, whatever, it would sometimes be me just having to say something sarcastic about someone or something. And when I learned to just say, you know what, whatever, cause, cause the gossip part, like I, like you, like earlier you said something about where a, a woman's worth doesn't depend, doesn't matter what she's done. I remember years ago um, when Kim Kardashian first uh, was expecting her first child. Mm -hmm. One of my students, you know, they're young and they're going to come in and they're going to be who they are. And, you know, again, those teachable moments. So one of the kids walked in and they said, um, so did you hear, because, you know, I don't even watch the show, but I can get in line at the grocery store. The kids tell me everything. So I know we what's know going on. You watch it in your spare time, Carl. <laughs> you not watch it. No, because I don't have to. It, 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 the kids will, it, it, like the kids will walk in. Can I tell you something? Well, I'm kind of busy. That's fine. I'll tell you anyway. So then why do you ask? But, but um, they, this kid had said to me, well, she's pregnant. I go, well, I heard. I mean, that, that was more important than like the nuclear bomb that dropped in some country on the news today. But, but um, and then he looked at me and goes, don't you feel sorry for that kid? And I go, whoa, 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 time out. 
I said, first of all, what, whoever that kid is, that's his or her mom. That's their mother. You can't change that. That's the person. You think of your mom right now, who, who, who you go to for everything you can imagine. That's that child's mother. Two, how many women, God bless them, motherhood changed them. Like that's when they realize, okay, I got to grow up. I need to like, I have a life depending on me now. I mean, I'm not a mom and I, you know, I, I love my kids very much and, and I'm, but I'm not, I'm, I did not carry and deliver them. Mm-hmm. But I remember when my son was born, like I'm hold cause he was born at night. So like the next morning I'm holding him and I was feeding him and I'm looking at him. And of course, every, the only person that knows every stupid thing I've ever done in my life is me. And I'm sitting there thinking, you poor child, I'm your dad. <laughs> it's like, you deserve so much better than me. And, and, um, but again, you just, so, but then there were those moments of, okay, what do I have to do? It doesn't matter if I'm afraid or if I'm not sure I have to do this. So it's like, I'm like, how do you know that's not the thing that she's that. And then what was it last year? They were showing her baptizing her kids and she was in church. I'm like, do you not think for one second that her children did not have that impact on her? You know, like, you know, and, and the, you know, the, the conversation she's going to have with those kids, you know, they're going to know what, what mom's story is, but her, and I'm sure she's going to say, well, I'm, I'm going to own what I did. Like I was just watching this thing with Lance Armstrong saying, yeah, my first three kids, they already know what happened, but my two youngest kids were not really old enough to know. He goes, I have to have that conversation with them. And that was why, for example, when Kobe Bryant died, oh gosh, like, like they, 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 when people were talking about the relationship he had with his daughters and it was like, oh, you know, they don't have their dad, you know, anymore. But, and then there was that one part, like, well, at least the one who passed, she was with her dad. Yeah. You know, so it's like, but see, they, you know, the, the little baby won't know, but I mean, of course, Vanessa will tell her, but the other daughters will know. They'll remember how much he loved them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, he made some mistakes and, and, you know, he, he learned a lot, but like he owned it and he, but he was able to, you know, so you're, people don't realize the children are such a gift that they, they, cause it really makes it, you have to learn. It's not about you anymore. It's about them. And, but, and, but to teach them the right thing, but you have to stop thinking about yourself. It's about your kids. The interesting thing so is we can't, we, you know, we can't have this culture of death way of thinking. Well, so the interesting thing, and you're talking about, you know, changing your mindset. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my mom is one of 10 kids. So I have 24 of us first cousins. And so there's a lot of girls and we all text each other and stuff. And for a long time, there was this talk about, we are not very gifted in the breast department. (laughs) So there was a lot of talk about getting implants. And I changed my mind after a while, but one of my cousins, actually, she has a daughter who is now about a year and a half and it comes up occasionally, but she suddenly changed her view. How can I teach my daughter to Mm. love her body if I'm going to be changing things about myself cosmetically? Mm. How do you, how can you, you know? And so 
But one of the things that I want to go back to, I mean, Carlos is talking about all the stupid things he did and they weren't even that stupid. They're just stupid, funny, but you know, most of them, <laughs> but well, what you know, <laughs> well, so, but one thing that I, um, one thing that I realized, cause somebody actually, um, texted me recently about being a catechist and they got to overhear the way I talk to my students. Yeah. I realized that the traumas from my own childhood and the struggles that I had ended up now I can see as a blessing because I know what they need to hear. I know what I didn't hear and I know how I felt and I know how, how it still feels when I think about it. And mm. so I was able to, so I, I responded back. I said, you know, the challenges that I'd gone through and all the mistakes that I had made gave me the tools to be able to speak to another generation and hopefully mm. maybe reverse some of the thoughts or the experiences. Um, one thing that I did back in October was actually talk about the negative effects of bullying. Mm. And when I had that conversation, one of them said, no one ever talked about it the way you did, where I actually brought in the mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide mm -hmm. statistics, and I presented it to them. And mm -hmm. I told them, the biggest thing I told them was what you, how you treat other people will affect them long-term. This was back in October, and this is like a month into their year one confirmation program. So they were not in any, a lot of them were not in any kind of faith formation. This is probably yeah. the first time, aside from when they did first communion, back in church school, what they call it. They still talk about that, that lecture, wow. how it changed the way they started to act and see people. So, um, what we bring to them, what we bring to other people can really, once you start showing them how to look at other people with dignity and how when you don't treat them with dignity and self-worth that it can negatively affect other people, then they started to be like, oh, wait a minute. Like all they ever were told was don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. No one told them why. Mm-hmm. I think that, that honestly, I think was one of the biggest things for me when I first started learning about theology of the body was I thought it, it provided a why because the rules and regulations don't mean anything if you don't understand why you're doing them. And especially for teenagers, holy cow. In the Google world. <laughs> yeah. You know why? And so I'm sure that must have just been so massive just giving them this is why. So just be like, don't do this, do this, don't do that. Who cares, right? But if you understand more, that's beautiful. I remember, um, mm. I, I get teased for this at work, but it's a good thing. Um, I had mentioned changing schools because my son was starting high school. So the, the last year I was at the previous school I was at, the last semester, I, I was at work one day and I was logging into my personal email. So, I, you know, the homepage always has all the quote unquote good news. And it was just one morning where it was just really bad. I mean, it was, I mean, I'm looking at the headlines and I'm just like, if I were the editor, I'd be suicidal right now. I mean, this is really bad. And 
So the kids walk in, it's first period, and I, I'm just, I'm kind of bummed out. I'm like, this is really sad. And so I knew the kids. And so they're like, well, how are you doing? You know, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, I, 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 was, I, I did something dumb this morning. They go, what you do? I go, oh, I read the news. You know, so, <laughs> so they did the morning prayer over the PA, and we were just talking. And, and so the kids are like, so, you know, they all see my face. Like, what's going on? I go, well, there was this, and there was this, and there was this. And, and I don't know why I did this, but I, I, I said, I'm just tired of people unloading on each other. And so I said, why don't we change it, like, right now? And I, I, I was probably being half sarcastic. And I looked at the kid. He was one of the boys sitting on the first seat on the end. And I looked at him. I called him by his name. And I said, you know what? He goes, what? I go, you are wonderful. Mm. And he looked at me like, you're out of your mind, right? So I just started just doing it. And I was, like I said, I was probably just venting, if you will. Yeah. And then I just kind of thought about it. I'm like, okay, well, I cannot play with their minds. I can't be fooling around with this. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do this again tomorrow. And you guys are going to look at me like I'm crazy and I don't care. So I did it. And then they looked at me and then one of the boys goes, you won't be doing this by Friday. You're going to stop. I just kept doing it. until so the following day I said, you know, what? I'm tired of doing it. I want to see you guys walk in and do it to each other. Mm. You guys hear me talk enough. And I kept doing it. They started doing it. Mm. Even I, I would see them out in the hallway doing it. And it was like, it was like this good plague, you know, in a, in a way. That is awesome. <laughs> so the hard part was I thought, oh, cool. Maybe I got this thing going on here. But then I had to tell the kids that I was leaving because I was going to go into another school. And also that was kind of a hard day. And I said, well, you know, I've been here 10 years. You know, I, I know your teachers, you know, I'm still going to be in touch with them. They're my friends. I said, so if there's anything I want to hear from them next year is I want to hear them tell me you guys are still doing this. Mm. You know, I don't, don't do it because I'm in the room. Do it because you mean it because you guys are, you know, it's, it's like a, I mean, right now I'm, 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 I'm trembling still when you talked about that water thing with the, you know, the good words and the bad words, because it's so powerful. You know, creation is all, it's that Romans 120 bit. It was, it's all testifying God's, you know, God's behind it. Everything. So it's, it's just so, it, we really need to rethink how we talk to each other and how we, you know, even strangers. Oh my goodness. Like I always think of homeless people. I'm like, you know, when someone yells at one and says, get a job, they're at least talking to you. But when someone walks by, like you're not even there, oh, like you don't even exist. That's, that's probably worse than being called or whatever, because at least they acknowledge your existence. And I think, you know, we've forgotten how much that, that people are people, you know, how often do we go to the grocery store and we don't even acknowledge, you know, the person doing the checking out, whatever we, we, as a culture, you know, we, we, we've gotten so used to using people and we don't even acknowledge their humanity. And I, I think one of the big things is part of it is also because we don't even recognize our own humanity and the gift of that and the beauty of that. So we're so, a lot of us are so used to having dialogues in our health, in our minds that are, that are not life-giving. So what's going to come out? Well, probably not very life-giving dialogues than to those around us. And it's amazing when you start to change the dialogue in your own mind and what you say to yourself, because how often, and maybe this may, I don't know if this is true for men, but I know for women, I've yet to meet a woman who has not agreed with this, <laughs> that a lot of the dialogue in most women's minds with themselves is stuff that they wouldn't even say this to a stranger because it's so not good. 
you know, a lot of them, there's so much, gosh, you look so ugly in that, or gosh, you're this, or you're not this, or you're too much this, or stuff that they wouldn't say to someone else, you know, but they'll talk to themselves like that. And so I would say, it, mm. yeah, I'm sorry. I would say it is true for now. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No. And, and so something that, um, something that we talk actually with the women about is also this idea of, of getting out of that competition, you know, comparison mode and really in this collaboration and building up mode. So for example, every woman, and it, it's funny because it's something that we, that we teach women, but it was something that the Lord taught me years ago. I was probably in high school and I started noticing how a lot of the conversation that a lot of the girls would have was pretty negative about other girls, right? And I started thinking about it and I was like, what if I tried to find something really good about every person and about everyone? And I literally started doing that was when I meet someone or I see someone, I, I try to find what is something good I can compliment them on? What is something good I can find about that person? And I started doing that. And it's funny because, because now, you know, 20 years later, it's so automatic because it's literally become a brain wiring that every person I meet, I'm like, oh my gosh, she has such a beautiful smile. Oh my goodness. I love her. Her eyebrows look so good. You know, like it can be, look at her nails or, oh, she has such a beautiful voice. Like always finding something good. And, and I really believe that the more that we learn to start calling out the good in each other, because so many of us, there's been a loss of identity. You know, we don't know who our father is. We don't know, so we don't know who we are, but then on top of it, we don't know who we are. So we also don't know who our father is. You know, it's this whole, when, when we lose being made in the image and likeness of God, when we lose man and woman, male and female, and the beauty of that, um, we also lose the image of who God is, you know? And, and so when we lose that aspect, I, I think there is a temptation, number one, to where we, where we get into using mode, number two, or we, we don't see a point to bring life-giving conversation into anything or life-giving words to those around us. Um, and so, so much of, again, just the importance of our, of our words and our mindset and all that and our self-worth, it, it really does go back to um, knowing our value, you know, and, and wiring that. And really, it's funny too, because sometimes we, we can, one of the most beautiful examples, um, a friend of mine, she's a new mom. And something that she said, you know, she said, how often do we speak really horrible things about ourselves and we'll be saying, gosh, idiot, why didn't you do that right? Or you did, you know, you're this, or I'm such a horrible person, or I'm such a wretched sinner, or like sometimes we say stuff like very like da da, da very like degrading. And she said, as a mom, she's like, I can't imagine if my little one was walking around saying, gosh, I'm so horrible, so bad. So this is she's like, as a mom, that would absolutely break my heart. Because this little one is made in my image, you know what I mean, as she's a part of me. And how often do we just almost disdain the gift that, that God gave us? And as a, if we can feel that as a human parent, holy cow, how much bigger, you know, Jesus came to reveal the Father. So how much more does that beautiful heart of our father just break every time that we degrade something that he created to be so beautiful and such a gift? It, it, you know, like that, it can be, if you really think about it, it's like, that's so sad, you know? We have such responsibility. You just kind of, yeah, you 
kind of wonder, like sometimes what I like to do is I'll, I'll look at a gospel story and this is where certain movies have done a brilliant job with like unfolding more of what would have happened. Yeah. So you, you think of someone who maybe Jesus was, they were in front of him and, and he's, he's got them, but then whatever is gnawing at them, they couldn't accept him. You know, like they just couldn't take it or, or he just, they just, they just look people like in John's John's gospel that walked away from him. You know, there's a specific point where he, you know, he's everyone's leaving because it's too hard to do whatever. And um, it's one, it's just that pain that you feel. I mean, cause like, you know, you have your kids and as they struggle, you know, my kids are 17 and 13. So there's things that they talk about that it, it, it kills you. Yeah. You know um, one of the hardest conversations I ever had with my son was in, in middle school, we were talking and he was struggling in school and, you know, he, he doesn't say a lot, but this particular day he was talking about how he felt. And it just killed me, but I had to listen to him. You know, one of my uh, fellow parishioners, she's in her 70s. Mm. And she had to go um, get her daughter, she, who's uh, on another state with drug addiction. And, you know, what she did for her daughter was, was miraculous. But, you know, having to, this is where, again, women are amazing. Like a mother having to sit there and listen to her daughter tell her everything that happened. But she had to be strong for her. You know, it's, it's just, you know, that's the scary part of being a parent or, or it's like this, even the work you do, having to sit there and listen to, you know, stories. Like I, I've told Angel, like I, I've been teaching 23 years and I've had stories where kids tell me and you think you've heard it all and it literally you go home in tears because you can't believe that someone would even just say this to their kid. You know, like, like there's been times, this is something my old colleagues at my last school used to talk about. We go on Kairos retreats mm-hmm. and, and the kids come back and you hear their stories and you always run into their parents like two or three days later. And the parents are like, Oh, thank you. You know, you did so much for my kid. And you just want to lay them out thinking you're the reason why your kids messed up because <laughs> of the things they said you did to them on a retreat. And I'm like, but you have to, you know, it's hard because you have to remember, well, what did the parents go through? You know, it's like like when Angel brought the bullying thing, you know, how two thirds of what two thirds of bullies were bullied or are being bullied. So you're not fixing the problem just by disciplining the bully. What do we have to do to fix this issue? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it it just really, uh, we have a lot of work to do. (laughs) <laughs> all of us and you know we're doing our part I, we're seeing what you're doing i i think it's just wonderful um so thank you for doing that i mean that, that's just and everyone you're working with you know just god bless you all that's it's just so good to see what you're doing so thank you for the, all that you're doing um so when we do post this conversation and we are running out of time i think we went i think we went way over the time we were planning on going um, because this is this is a very heavy topic, and there's so much to cover. I'm pretty sure you all of us can come back again some other time and have another two, three hour long conversation about it, even <laughs> off camera. Because um, there, there, it is so um, there's so much in our society that dictates how this goes, and. I think we all need to understand that, you know, like you said, Maria, we have a choice um, and we have a choice to change how we think and how we feel um, 
and to, but it is, it's a work in progress and it's, you know, it's not going to be a hundred percent. It's not going to be, Oh, you're going to go through this course and you're going to be completely cured or whatever. It's not that way. It's <laughs> lifelong work. We're always trying to find ourselves um, and discover ourselves and every challenge I think in our lives brings a new set of um, searching for our own identity. So but what I will, but what will happen is I will post the link to your, um, to your, to the women's school when we do post this so that they can um, find the resource, um, this wonderful, amazing resource that is out there for women. Um, and, you know, because I think a lot of times we feel alone. Um, we don't think anyone else is going through what we're going through. Um, you know, I saw a meme again from that same doctor where she had posted how two moms meet and they're having this dialogue and it's like, how are you? And in a thinking bubble, it's I'm stressed. I'm like all these negative thoughts, but to each other, they're like, oh, I'm fine. Not realizing the other one is thinking the exact yeah. same thing. Yes. Um, so you know, knowing that we're not alone and knowing that there are people out there who can help us gain the tools that we were not probably given yeah. um, or know, knew that we have in our arsenal, right? So, because yeah. we have the tools, we just don't know how to <laughs> access them or utilize them. So, um, do you have any other last minute thoughts or do you want to end in prayer? Yeah. So, I guess I would just like to say one thing that I would love for us to end in prayer. I am. Um, you know, whoever's listening to this, I just want you to know that you're not stuck. I think a lot of times we can get stuck in a mode. And this happened to me at one point where I just felt like, I guess this is just what my life is. And it was a dark season, you know, and that is a lie from the enemy, straight from the pits of hell. It can feel like it, but there are tools out there. And I, and I would, um, I would really just encourage you, please reach out. I would love to have a conversation with you and see if this is something that could um, just help change your life for the better. But you are not stuck. There is hope no matter where you are in your journey, in your life, um, there is hope. And so I just want to really leave you with that because sometimes in this day and age, it can feel very hopeless. Um, but there's hope, there is freedom, there's transformation. And you can really live from a space of so much joy, even if in this moment it feels very stressful or depressing or whatever, um, you're not stuck. So I just want to, I guess, end with that. And I would love to end with a prayer as well. Great. Um, you can lead it. <laughs> okay, I'll lead it. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we thank you first for the wisdom of John Paul II, for his his love for humanity that led him to want to reflect and share the teachings that you gave through your son in the gospel to help better us as the children that we are, that children that you want us to be because you as our loving father want us to see ourselves and live with each other in the way that is appropriate for the kingdom. We thank you for Maria and everyone that she works with and all the work that they do. We ask you to continue blessing them with the wisdom and the courage to keep going on as we all have our struggles and obstacles to deal with. We thank you for this time we've had with her and we look forward to other moments in the future. We, we really pray that this will reach so many people, especially the ones who really need to hear this message. 
And we pray also for women. Women are amazing. They, they were the high point of creation. They still are the high point of creation. We pray that they see themselves for how God really intends them to see. And we also pray that men will treasure them and value them the way that we want to see them the way Adam did when he saw Eve in the garden before any sin had entered the world. And he looked at her with wonder because he saw her as God intended him to see her. We also thank you for our Blessed Mother, whose, whose love and courage continues to reach all of us and, and touch our church and our world. So with that, let us, let us finish our prayer with Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our Father death. Our death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We are going to post your guys on our website and everything. We are going to, we are going to share this a, a million times. This is amazing. I mean, I knew you were doing so many cool things, but to, for, to have a chance to have you really explain it, I'm, I'm really excited for you and for everyone you've already worked with. Those you will work with, we will pray for all of you. My, my wife says this all the time with, cause she's a principal with the other principals in school. She goes, you know, we're all in this together. Yes. So it's like, you know, to me, it's like, hey, if, if this if this ministry, if this whatever can be of better use, then please contact them because they're they're they really can help you. So I, I will definitely be in touch and we'll definitely Thank do what we can so to get much. the word out for what you're doing. And also, I didn't mention this, but um, the one thing, you know, this particular part of it with the women's school specifically for women. We also have something called Metanoia Catholic where we're working with men as well with with like Catholic life coaching aspect where we deal a lot with the mindset okay. part and with the spiritual and I'll post, um, I'll give you guys some stuff to post awesome. on as well. Um, because again, I think the more resources out there and our prayer is Lord bless mother, just bring the people that you want us to work with bring them to us, you know, these souls for you, Lord. So perfect. Thank you. For information on how to contact Maria Spears, get a free clarity coaching call or a link to the woman's school, please visit us at hcdtalks.com.